you have your Bibles, let's open them to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And before we read any at all, we might just say that this uh, chapter could be titled Christian Liberty. And the question of meat offered to idols, whether or not a Christian should eat that meat that's offered to idols, is the question that is brought up in this chapter. And also, there are two main things that we'll find. In verses 1 through 8, you'll find what we know and then what we should do about it, verses 9 through 13. What do we know concerning uh, our Christian liberty? And then what should we do because it will affect others? So let's look at it beginning with chapter 8, verse 1. It says this, Now as touching the things, or touching things offered unto idols, we know that we have all knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity, or love, the word for charity is really better spoken love, but love edifies. So even though we know certain things about whether we could or could not eat that meat which is offered to idols, we have all knowledge, but he says knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifies. So, knowledge alone makes us proud and independent, and it makes us selfish. We may know many things, but we have to do our, we have to do things in consideration of other people. And so, knowledge alone is not sufficient. We need to know, but we need to also have something else. We need to have love. Charity, or love, is what builds up and what edifies. If you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, beginning with verse 2, well, let's read verse 1 and 2, and it will show this very same thing. Paul says in the first verse of the 13th chapter, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And then he says in verse 2, And though I have the gift of prophecy, and understand all mysteries. Now look, and all knowledge, that's what we were dealing with in the past verse in the text. Though I have all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I'm nothing. So without love, that knowledge puffeth up, doesn't it? As uh, Paul said in the text. So turn back First Corinthians chapter 8 now. And then in verse 2, I want you to see something else. It says, If any man, man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing yet as he ought to know. In other words, though we do know some things, there are many things that we do not know, and we know nothing as we ought to know. And you know, God's Word is full of statements that show us, and there are many scriptures that show us, just how little we really do know. The Bible says, uh, in the book of Proverbs 27 and verse 1, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. So we don't even know what a day holds for us. And then James tells us in the book of James chapter 4, verses 13 and 14 and 15, it says, Go to now, ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year, and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not 
Look, here's what we do not know. You know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears a little time and then vanishes away. You don't even know if you'll be here tomorrow. You might disappear like the vapor off of the kettle as the water boils. For that you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. So sometimes what we do not know comes into the picture. Now then, if you'll look at the third verse, you'll find something else. And when I say the third verse or certain certain verse, I'm always referring back to the passage that we're studying. So 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 3. And instead of saying it all, I'll just say, look at the third verse or fourth or etc. It says in verse 3 now, but if any man love God, the same is known of him. You know, when we consider our love for God, uh, this is a hard question for us to answer ourselves. Sometimes we question, say, do I really love God? We know that we love, uh, Jesus uh, tells us, or John tells us concerning Jesus, he says we love him because he first loved us. And uh, we feel that we love God, but yet we're like Peter sometimes. You know, when when uh, Jesus asked Peter, he says, Simon, lovest thou me? Well, Simon says, Lord, you know that I'm fond of you. He was not able to reach out to that uh, great uh, fullness of assurance that he would say, Why, Lord, you know that I love you with all my heart and soul and mind. And sometimes we're just like that. We know that we really do love the Lord, and yet we're reluctant to claim that we love him so much or uh, tell him how much we really do love him. And I believe that all children of God Everyone that is born of God really does love God, but we realize our love is so fickle, and God's love is divine, and it's true. The Bible says love is of God, for God is love. He is the very uh, uh, nature and his uh, character is love. So we know then that uh, we love God, but God knows how much we love him. So, now, if you look at verses 4 through 6 now, we'll come across something else. <clears throat> it says this, in verse 4, As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is none other God but one. Now, as far as having any idols, set up as a God, any image, or to reverence anything upon this earth in the place of God, Paul says, we know that there's nothing at all in the world. Though there were idols, and there were presents, and that's why he was giving instructions to these Corinthians, they had been called out of idolatry, as many others, the Thessalonians, they turned from, uh, they turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. And so, even, there was much idolatry in Paul's day. But he says, we know that it amounts to nothing at all. Why? There's one God. There's only one God. Let's go on and read down through verses 4 through 6. Now it says in verse 5, For though there be that are called gods, whether in, the, in heaven or in earth, as there be gods many and lords many, some of them, some people have many gods, 
And there are God's many and Lord's many, Paul says. But to us, look, there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in him. We're in him. And it says, one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. All things are by Christ, and all things are uh, of God. It says in this sixth verse. So we know there's only one God. And the one God that we know is the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to the word, as this word has revealed God, the Father unto us. Someone might say, well, uh, we know that there's a God because we look out upon creation. Well, that's well and good. You know there's a mighty power. You know there's a greater power than Man, you know that someone created all this and the invisible things of him from the creation of the world. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1 are clearly seen by the things which are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that the heathen become without excuse on the basis of the knowledge of nature. The Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. So, uh, men without the Bible and men without any uh, knowledge of, of Christ know that there's a God, but they do not know him personally because he is the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's what the Word, when we're taught the Word, that's what it reveals to us. Who is your God? He's the God and Father of Christ. And Christ is God, the Son. Manifest in the flesh and receive back up into glory. And the Holy Spirit is God the Spirit. And the Bible teaches us that there is the divine trinity of the Godhead. And we believe that the Bible gives us as much as we need to know about that Godhead. Now then there are mysteries beyond our comprehension. There are things that we do not know about God. But to us there is one God. There are no idols. There is no one we set up as an idol and put him in the place of God, though many do, we don't do that. That's why Paul says to us, there's one God. And when you find anyone worshiping any other God or any other idol, then the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, you say that person is living in idolatry. And that's what they're really doing. They set up their little Buddhas, you know, or they set up their... Uh, various images around the world today? Or they look to other beings, other uh, characters of history that have come and gone and that have been prophets maybe in their particular religion, Mohammed or various other um, men. They'll set them up as gods. Now then, they died. And there's no record of a resurrection. They don't even believe in a resurrection. They don't believe that their God or the one that they worship was resurrected from the dead. But we worship and serve the living and true God. Jesus Christ, after three days, came forth from death, hell, and the grave. And then he appeared to the disciples for 40 days. He ascended to the right hand of the throne of God. And then he sent his Holy Spirit upon the church to vindicate and to verify that his presence was in heaven. And we take the record of God's Word and the testimony of God's Word to understand that there is but one God the Father and one Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, and one Holy Spirit. And we don't 
we're not touching upon that at this point because it's mentioned in other places. Paul says to us, there's but one God. You read Isaiah, let me give you a verse of scripture in chapter 45, verses 5 through 7. It says this, I am the Lord and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me, that thou, that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the, and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is none else. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and, and create evil. I, I, the Lord, do all these things. Now, when he says he creates evil, don't misunderstand. He's talking about he, he has the power to bring judgment. He does the things that need to be done, and men call it evil, but God calls it his righteous indignation upon men. But anyway, we see that he's powerful, that he forms, that he's the creator. I am God and there is none else. If we study uh, what it is, the person of God, we'll find that you go back and study beginning the book of Genesis, the first chapter. The Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Bible tells us that, he, that God spoke. He said, let there be light, and there was light. He said that he created the heavens and the earth, and the earth became or was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and listen, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. We find these evolutionists teaching that uh, all kinds of theories, the bang theory, you know, something happened, and this little particle became so powerful that it exploded or the atom was split, or whatever you want to call it, and you have all of this thrown out into space, and the earth happened, and then you and I happened, and everything happened just because that little explosion that took place. Be just like you and I say, well, we go over in an airplane 20,000 feet and take all the parts of a Swiss watch and just throw them down there toward the earth, and they're scattered on the earth time they hit hit the ground, and you just pick it up and put it on, it'd be ticking. That's how I could believe that easier than I could believe that all this world came to be uh, by just some bang theory or some other theory that uh, the evolutionists have uh, promoted or have thought. But God says he created. You know, the only way you can understand this creation, this great universe, is by faith. By faith. You take it by faith. The Bible says, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. They were made out of nothing. God created them. And that's the only way that any man, regardless of how scientific-minded, how intelligent, how much knowledge he has, or whatever claims he may have, or theories he may have, that's the only way he'll ever really thoroughly understand is that God in his might and in his power created the, the world and the universe. That's the only way that man will ever stand, understand it. You find people that, oh yes, we know that's the way it happened, you know. And they look to their theory. But we find that all the while someone's coming along and punching a, a pinhole in their balloon that they blowed up and we find that it just 
goes all apart because it won't hold water. It won't hold air. It won't stand. And God's Word will stand. You know, God's Word has been here. And it's stood through the ages. And, and what God has said is so. And there's no one that has been able to destroy it or disprove it. You find the things that we study here. Uh, no one can disprove the things that we're looking at. Every child of God should take them by faith, should believe the Word of God, and accept it as the final conclusion of all matter, of everything, of anything that pertains to us. We ought to accept God's Word. You say, well, I read in Scriptures and I don't understand some of them. Well, I don't either, but I still believe that it means what it says. There's a lot of things I don't understand. But whatever it says, that's what it is. Whether I understand it or not. Just like Paul said in the 13th chapter, though I have all knowledge, and we don't have all knowledge, and have not love, it does not profit. All right, let's go on. Now, I want you to look at verse 7. Uh, Howbeit there is not in every man that knowledge. That's why Paul said that there must be charity, because charity edifies. He says there's not in every man or in all men that knowledge. For some with conscience, conscious of the idol unto this hour eat it as a thing offered unto an idol. Some do not know that there's only one God. Some still worship the idols. And some eat those sacrifices that are offered to idols. And uh, he says unto this hour. And their conscience being weak is defiled. Their conscience is defiled because they cannot rightly claim to be a Christian and then go ahead and try to live in idolatry and eat those things that are sacrificed to idols. But Paul wants to tell us that some Christians, and especially in his day, we don't have as much of it now because we don't have that transition from gross idolatry, as in Paul's day, to Christianity. But some Christians then still were so superstitious, and they still worshipped their idols and ate things sacrificed to idols. Romans chapter 14, uh, verses 1 through 3. Let's read this, these verses. Paul says this, Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not, and let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. So we find that uh, back there that there was a difference between those that would eat meat and those that would eat vegetables, but there was no ground for criticizing one another regardless. And he's talking about a brother that's weak in the faith. He says, receive him. Well, this evidently, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7, was a weak brother. His conscience, being weak, is defiled. Now, if you look at verse um, 8, it says, But meat commendeth us not to God. For neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. In other words, what we eat does not commend us to God. Our relationship to God is not based on eat or drink. It's not based on that. We're to do all that to the glory of God. And, uh, of course, Paul could go ahead. Paul could eat meat that was offered to idols if it wasn't spoken out that, now, this is meat that's offered to an idol. Paul would not eat it. 
But Paul would eat meat if he sat down with uh, these brothers and he would eat it for the sake of the value of it and with a good conscience toward God. But if someone said this is offered to idols, he wouldn't eat it because he would know that they would be doing this in a, as a form of idolatry. Now then, since we have this knowledge that we've spoken of in these first eight verses, what should we do about it? We should remember that love is greater than knowledge. Love is greater than all other gifts. And all other gifts are useless without love. And if you read that chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you'll find that it doesn't make any difference what gift a person had. If he did not have love, it didn't amount to anything. He could speak with the tongues of men and angels. He might have the gift of prophecy. He might have all knowledge. He might be able to do anything. He might be able to work miracles. Whatever he could do, it wouldn't matter at all unless he had love. He says, love or charity edifies. That's the last part of verse 2. I mean, the last part of verse 1, I beg your pardon. But charity edifies. So what are we to do about it? We're to have knowledge, all right, but we're to use that in such a way as to have love and our conduct should be governed by love and not by just what we know. And so in verse 9, he tells us to take heed. Now look at verse 9. This is how we should do in this relationship. But take heed lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. You see, our conduct should be governed by love. Because if we're at liberty to eat any kind of meat, even meat offered to idols, if we didn't consider it as offered to idols, if we were just eating meat gathered together for the sake of a meal, and we didn't realize (coughs) that it was offered to an idol, we could eat that meat. It wouldn't defile us. We'd have Christian liberty to thank God for food and eat it and take it into our body for the sake of nourishment. But if I, if we do this and, and someone uh, looks at us and they say, well, there, there's a person that's eating meat that's offered to idols, they would be, we would become a stumbling block to them because they would think that we were endorsing that and therefore we would have to govern our conduct by love so that we would not offend or cause a weak brother to stumble by what we were doing. And Paul will enlarge upon that thought as we progress. Now, suppose you were called to eat a meal, food, and you didn't realize that you, you were just invited. And you eat this, and someone looks and they say, well, he's sitting at the, at the table where they've offered this meat to idols. Well, this brother would be offended. He would think that you were endorsing he would think that you were uh, actually going along with Feast of Idolatry. But you wouldn't be doing that. You'd be eating the food and you'd be thanking God for the nourishment of that, that you could receive from that food. But uh, Paul says, let's not use this liberty and become a stumbling block to them that are weak. In other words, we've got to consider what effect our actions have on others. And if we don't consider this, we've missed the point. So we know that we're at liberty. We have Christian liberty. And uh, we know what we know is that we're free in Christ to do as we please. 
Yet, by the same token, we're not to take advantage of this liberty so as to cause someone else to stumble, especially a weak brother. 1 Corinthians 10, if you turn the page, verses 28 and 29, you'll see what Paul says. Let, let's read verse uh, 27 as well. 1 Corinthians 10, 27. Paul says this, If any of them that believe uh, not bid you to a feast, and you be disposed to go, whatsoever set before you, look, eat, asking no question for conscience sake. Just eat it, and thank God for it. If it's a feast, and you're invited, and you're there, and you're eating the food, you're thanking God for this. But if any man say unto you, look at this now, this is offered in sacrifice unto idols, eat not. For his sake that showed it, and for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Now then, the reason Paul would not eat this under these circumstances, now follow it very closely, this is important. Eat not for his sake that showed it. Eat not for conscience sake. But whose conscience? Paul could eat it and not worry about it at all. Even if he said his offered to idols, but if he did so, look in verse 29, conscience I say, not thine own, but the other. The other man's conscience. For why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? And if I by grace be partaker, why am I evil spoken of for that for which I give thanks? So Paul says it wouldn't make any difference to him. He could receive it because he wouldn't consider it as offered to idols, would he? But if he ate that meat that was said to be offered to idols, it would wound his weak brother's conscience. And it goes on to say in verse 31, Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. But in doing this, now he says, whether, uh, he says, in doing this, give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. In other words, when you eat, you would have to do it so that you would not be a stumbling block or be an offense to someone else. Though you have Christian liberty, and the Christian is at liberty, you can do a lot of things that uh, you would not be condemned for, except for the fact that someone would look and they would misunderstand. The man that's, that would see you eating this meat, if it was said it was offered to idols, wouldn't understand that you were just eating it for the sake of the food value and thanking God for that food. He would think you was in... Were, you would be eating for the the sake of idolatry, and all, as it was offered to idols. In verse thirty three, Paul goes on to say, "Even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved." So therefore, Paul was very careful not to be a stumbling block to others. Now come back again in our passage, First Corinthians chapter eight. Look at verse um, ten. It says. For if any man see thee which hast knowledge sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? If a man is weak and he sees you sitting at meat in the idol's temple, wouldn't he be encouraged to do the same thing? 
Paul so regulated his life by the way he lived before others that he showed reverence toward God and he re- and he showed respect toward uh, other Christians and the Christians other Christians' convictions so that he tried not to offend. And you and I must realize that uh, it's important that we do not offend a weak brother. Look at verse 11. And, the, and through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. Therefore, we've got to be very careful how we live. Because though we may be at liberty to do something that someone else would misunderstand, it might even uh, be to the destruction says in Romans 14, destroy him for whom Christ died. Here it says that thy weak brother perish for whom Christ died. Now just because Paul had respect for them and their convictions, just because Paul would live in such a way as not to be a stumbling block, it doesn't mean that he would respect the false teachings of others. He wouldn't respect the false teachings of others, just like we read in the in the chapter uh, ten a little bit ago. That if it was said that it was offered to idols, Paul would not eat. It says, "Eat not for the sake of him that that uh, is there, the sake of him that that told you that it was offered to idols." So don't. In other words, you're still to be separated. A Christian is still to be separated from false teaching and false worship from idolatry but he's at liberty really to worship God in whatever way that God would give him the freedom to worship but it goes on to say that we must be careful as to how we eat and to what we do before others it says in verse 12 but when you sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience you sin against Christ so that you see by being careless about certain matters we can uh, not only sin against a brother, but we're sinning against Christ. Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. In other words, whatever Paul did, he wanted to make sure that he was not a stumbling block to other people. And though he would be at liberty to eat the meat, he would say, if it's going to, whatever the circumstance is, if it causes my brother to offend. In fact, he puts it so strongly that he says, If meat caused my brother to sin, I will eat no meat as long as the world standeth. So what he's saying, he would certainly be careful as to how he would live before others. I think if you and I would take into consideration the last part of verse 1, again, look back at it. It says, Knowledge puffeth up. See, Paul had knowledge. He knew what he was at liberty to do. Christians have knowledge. We know what we're free to do. If Christ makes us free, we're free indeed. The Bible tells us that whatever we receive, we we can eat all kinds of food uh, because we give God thanks. And uh, yet here, he it goes on to say, but charity edifies, love edifies, builds up. And so we've got to keep that in mind regardless of what action we take, how it may affect other people in our Christian life. And some things we do, not because we're not free to do them. Some things we abstain from, not because we're, we're required to abstain. But it's for the sake of other folks 
that we want to live a life before them that it will not offend them and will not become a stumbling block. All right, let's stand together for a word of prayer.